awesome. Yeah, thanks. Wow, well read. Good work. So, um, you may be excused for being a little confused about that reading. If you are, you are just like the Jews in Jesus' day who got a little confused at what he was talking about, didn't they? All this talk of bread, and they go, yep, I get the, I get the bread. I'm hungry. And bread, by the way, was just a, it's a metaphor for a staple basic food. It's like food. This is basic food. So they're thinking Jesus is talking about food, and they're thinking about food because they're just humans. And then Jesus goes off on this amazing discursus about the bread of life and eternal life and eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And they're like, what the? And you might be thinking that. How do you make sense of all of that? What does that actually mean? So I'm going to try and do something. Uh, I'm going to try and help you understand, help us understand this. And, and the way I'm going to help us understand this is by starting us thinking about the nature of life. So I'll try and I'll, I'll show you where we're going. Uh, we're going to start off thinking about life. And we're going to see that life consists in a variety of forms um, and uh, we'll talk about what that is, the, the material and uh, spiritual. And then we're going to think about uh, where do we get this life, both material and spiritual. Um, what is it? And how do we get it? Make sense? So life. Where do we get it? What is it? And how do we get it? Uh, and I'll try and do my best to make it clear. And I say that because to start with, and the, the thing that is going to help us understand what's going on in this passage is a little bit of a philosophical discussion we need to have about the nature of life itself. Okay? Uh, so the question is, what is life? Uh, in English, life only, there's really only one word that refers to life. In other languages, there are multiple words. So, for example, in, uh, in the Greek that the uh, New Testament was written in, there are at least two, there are two different words that refer to it. Uh, but what I want to give you is a philosophical definition or a simple definition that helps us, and then I'll show you why that's so helpful. So here's one way of understanding life. Life is the power to act and respond in specific kinds of relations. Okay? Life is the power to act and respond in specific kinds of relations. So, for example, uh, this here perspex lectin is not alive, is it? What makes it not alive? It has no power to act or respond to any relations at all. It just is there. I can talk to it. I say, lovely lectin. It doesn't respond back to me. Oh, thank you, Mark, for appreciating my form. It just sits there. It doesn't grow. It doesn't change. It's inert. Uh, When you've seen uh, a person who's passed away, if you've seen them when they were alive and if you were there when they died, you'll see there's there's an amazing difference, isn't there? Uh, While they're alive, they can respond... And they have the power to act and respond in relationships. When the life goes out of them, they cease to be able to respond in specific kinds of relationships. Okay, that clear? 
Now, let me, what this definition helps us understand is that there are different levels of life as there are different kinds of relationships that we're in. So let me illustrate. Uh, what do we see here? A carrot, a kitten, and a person. It says something about Google's algorithms, that when I Googled person, uh, this was the first image that came up. Um, I'm a little disturbed right there, right now. Um, what can we say about the life of a carrot? Well, it's alive, isn't it? It has, uh, it has the power to act and respond in specific kinds of relationships. So it responds to the sun and to the oxygen and to water and to nutrients, right? That's alive at that level. Uh, but is it alive to a ball of string? No, it's dead to a ball of string. It's dead to Mozart and to Shakespeare and to coffee. The kitten. The kitten is alive to the sun and water and nutrients and food. The kitten is also alive to a whole set of relations that the carrot wasn't alive to, like a ball of string. It's very exciting to have a ball of string. It can respond and act to this ball of string, right? Uh, human beings. We are alive to the same things the carrot is. We're also alive to the same things the kitten is. But we're also alive to a whole lot more, aren't we? So we can act and respond to truth and justice and beauty, to sonnets and to songs and to coffee and to red wine and to love, and to sunsets and romantic walks along the beach, whatever it is, you know. In a way that kittens can't. Kittens are dead to that level of life and we're not. So... Uh, one way to think about this is as a series of, um, I need another picture. Uh, you, can think of, you can think of life like this. Here's the kitten, uh, here's the carrot. The carrot is alive here, right? The, the kitten is alive and its life encompasses a whole lot sort of more of reality. And then there's us as people. And we encompass a whole lot more in, again. This is life. Uh, one of the characteristics of this life, though, is that it is all material. One of the things we have in common with the uh, carrot and the kitten and everything else is that we are all, our relationships all exist in a material embodied form. Does that make sense? So, um, good so far. Here's the problem with this, right? Uh, this life, in the material sense, doesn't last, does it? It doesn't last. And this is what the disciples and Jesus were on about. So when Jesus, immediately prior to the passage we just read, he just fed a gazillion people, well, and, and he made all this food. And so these people come to him and they say, give us food. <laughs> and he says, your problem is, you are really just hungry for food that perishes, food that doesn't last, food that spoils. Okay, so you have food here, uh, and everything existing in this material world needs food in the system, but that food perishes or spoils. 
Isn't that true? Don't, don't you think? I mean, you eat. Isn't this one of the weird things about food? Like you ate last night and you know you're hungry this morning? Because it never really fills you up. In this material world, our existence here always leaves us hungry. And we sense that that's wrong. We sense that there should be a way of existing where we're never continually hungry. It's not just physical food that lets us down. Food, in this sense, that which nourishes our lives of this relationship can be not just food, but things like relationships. There's a great story to illustrate this from the Bible in Genesis 29. And it's the story of one of the fathers of faith, Jacob. And uh, here's the setup. Jacob is out looking for a wife. And he finds Laban. And Laban has two daughters. And uh, Laban, the name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Now, Leah, are there any Leahs in the room this morning? Okay, that's good, because it's a little awkward if there are. It can be, I've just got to back up here. Okay, so um, the name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger, are there any Rachels in the room? Okay, this is very affirming if you're a Rachel. Okay, no Rachels in the room, but anyway. So the name uh, of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes which is a Hebrew euphemism for saying she really wasn't particularly attractive um, to the eyes. But Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. She's gorgeous. And Jacob was in love with Rachel. He loved her so much. And, And he said, I'll work for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. That's a long time. Life expectancy is like 30 years. I'll give you nearly a third of my life just for your daughter because I love her so much. Rachel, this beautiful woman, she is food for my soul. She is food for my life. If I have her, then my life will be complete, says Jacob. And so Laban says, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Rachel served seven years to get Rachel. And isn't this one of the most romantic verses in the Bible? But they seemed like only a few days because of her love, his love for her. He just went like, I love her so. Seven, it's like nothing. My love is so amazing. It's going to be so wonderful when eventually uh, we are married. And then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is complete and I want to make love to her. I want food for my soul. I want this wall to work. That which I've worked for my love to be consummated and complete. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. And these wedding feasts could go for a very long time. We know that, don't we? Like a week. And as we discovered in John 2, there's a lot of wine going around in these wedding feasts. And the other thing you need to know, a bit of backstory, they didn't have electricity. And it gets dark pretty early. So it's been going on a long time. They've been partying hard, been drinking a lot of wine, and there's no electricity, and it's dark. Let the reader understand. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. And verse 25, when morning came, there was Leah. Or as the older translations say it, when morning came, behold, Leah. What does that mean? In life, 
the food that we work for, those things that we give our hearts and our souls to, that we believe when we achieve them and accomplish them and they come into our lives, when we wake up in the morning, it's always Leah. You think you're getting Rachel, but you get Leah. It always disappoints, right? It always disappoints. Think about it. You work for that job. You work for that job. You go, there's the job. The job's my Rachel. You get the job and you go to work. Behold, Leah. You, you do your big reno. Oh, I love this renovation. I plan it and I work for it and I fund it and I, I get the reno. And you walk into your newly renovated house and behold, it's Leah. And, and you know, you've got to go back to work again. You've got to renovate it again. It's just the way of the world. And we know deep in our hearts that's not the way it should be. In the story, very cleverly, it's a, it's a deception. It's a bait and switch that Laban pulls on Jacob and that life pulls on us, right? It's a giant bait and switch. Do this and you'll never be hungry again. And you do it. And you're still hungry. Why is that? Why is that? Well, let's go back to our less amusing but really profound philosophical discussion about the nature of life. You see, there is one set of relationships that humans have, one level of relationships that are currently excluded from this drawing. Who are we also made to relate to? The carrot relates to the sun and the air and the kitten relates to the ball of string and humans relate to each other and to music and truth and beauty and justice. But also... All those things leave us with Leah. Where's the only way to find Rachel? Yeah, but you never thought of God as called Rachel, but there we go, you know. We're, we're meant to be connected to God. And actually, can you see how this is really what's meant to be true of us? Our existence here is not just at the realm of the material, but actually exists here at the realm of the spiritual as well. Now, carrots and kittens are incapable of relating to the spiritual dimension of life. But we are. In fact, we're made for that. And when we don't find our food for that part of our lives, we find that we're always hungry. This is where we find Rachel up here. And this is where we find Leah down here. Now, our human problem is this. That in fact, uh, in fact, we're in the same way that, you know, a carrot is dead to a ball of string. In our natural state, you and I are actually dead to God. There's this great big barrier between us and God. So... We're always hungry, but we can't actually connect with the food that will feed us forever. This is the great problem. Even the Jews had that problem, right? So uh, their misunderstanding or disconnection from God was seen in the story because when Jesus starts talking to them about bread from heaven, 
all they can think about is, is Leah bread, is bread for their stomachs. They're just like, yep, God is there to meet my needs. God is there to give me manna. God is there to give me money and sex and power and status and all those things. And Jesus says, no, no, you don't really understand. I'm here to give you a different kind of bread that's going to feed a different kind of hunger that's going to sustain a different kind of life, right? So this spiritual life, there's another word in the English that, is, that we use to translate spiritual life. What, what is it? It's eternal life. This, when we connect to God, this is actually eternal life, right? Because God is spirit and our spirits connect with God's spirit and our bodies waste away, our stomachs need continual replenishing, but connected to an eternal, uh, unembodied spiritual being, we can have a connection that outlasts our worn-out old bodies, which is really good news, isn't it? How many of you are ready to ditch your worn-out old body? (laughs) Yep, some of us are. And that's the good news. Jesus says, uh, I've come to feed you in this way. Now, uh, where does this come from? Uh, Jesus says, I'm the bread of heaven. So the bread of heaven comes from heaven and comes, breaks into our world to, to break down this barrier and reconnect us and God. Uh, who, look at what Jesus says in verses 31. I mean, they're really quite amazing verses, aren't they? When you, when you read it with this framework in mind, um, Very truly, they're talking about their ancestors eating manna in the wilderness as they journeyed from Egypt to the promised land. Um, uh, They're thinking at the purely material level. And Jesus said, truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father, God, who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and does what? What does this bread of heaven do? Gives life to the world. What kind of life? What kind of life does it give? It, it's, it doesn't give life here. This is where the Jews were confused. They're like, well, we want manna. We want physical life. Jesus isn't talking about that kind of life, is he? He's talking about this sort of life. This is the Rachel life, the life connected with God forever, where we're made alive to God and sustained in our relationship with God forever. So it comes from heaven. What, what is this bread? What is this bread? And here we come to one of the most famous, I'm sure if you've been in church a while, you know this, one of the most famous little claims of Jesus. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. See, the bread of life, that gift from God, which is given to the world to enable us to connect with God, break down that barrier separating us from him and meet our hunger for Rachel, for life that goes on forever and for always, that is Jesus. It's the person of Jesus. Now, that's radical. That's radical. Let's think about that for a moment. I mean, firstly, the Jews rightly said, what the heck? 
or in Hebrew, you know, um, uh, the Jews said, listen, uh, that can't possibly be true. Verse 42, is this not Jesus, son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? It's a good question, right? This is the question. It's radical because it, this forces us to think about Jesus, who he really was, you see. See, many people, many, and you may be one of them, uh, and many of us are like that. Many of us think of Jesus fundamentally as a good teacher or a moral example, don't we? Um, but uh, Jesus really doesn't leave us that option. He makes this up a extraordinary claim. The Jews realized this. He was making something that was quite outrageous. If this claim of Jesus weren't true, if it weren't true that he were the bread of heaven, if it weren't true that he alone was God come to earth to give you and I what we need to live forever, what would that make of Jesus? Well, not, not any great moral teacher. I mean, he'd be either deliberately lying, in which case he's a deliberate liar, not a great moral teacher. Or he'd be unconsciously lying, in which case he just thought he was the bread of heaven and he thought he was God, in which case that would make him what? Delusional. Certainly not a great moral teacher who's changed the world. Extraordinary claims on Jesus. In fact, this claim of Jesus, as the Jews really understood, only makes sense if it's actually true. So we can't think of Jesus really as just a good moral teacher. He doesn't leave us that option. He keeps pushing us to go, no, no, I'm not just here to deal with the material realm. I'm not just here to give you good advice for how to get through life and great moral teaching. Uh, I'm here to connect you to God because I'm God come down to earth. So that's pretty radical. But it's also really good news because think about it. Uh, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Uh, is wonderfully good news for the following reasons. It makes Christianity the most incredibly inclusive of all religions. Against what many people think. Many people think Christianity is awful and exclusive. But it's not really. It's wonderfully inclusive. Because stop and think about it. In the rest of the world, how do people go about finding Rachel? How do they try to connect with eternal life, with life that is meaningful and rich and lasting? Well, there's a few ways. One way, uh, not so much seen in Australia, but is there in antiquity and in parts of human history. You find, uh, you find Rachel through the life of the mind, through ideas, through philosophy. You, you know, the, the, the Leah world, the material is all, is, is just a mess. But if, but you know, if you're a Greek philosopher, it's the life, you think great thoughts. Now, uh, the problem with that is, uh, that limits eternal life to people who think great thoughts. What does that do for those of us who have dementia? What does that do for those of us who have acquired head injuries? What does that do for those of us who are little children? I mean, that's, isn't that what Jesus... Isn't, you see how remarkable it is when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is open to little children because how do you find Rachel? How do you find eternal life? The life of the Spirit, well, it comes to you in a person. It says, Jesus is that life, that bread of heaven. Even a little child can just throw their arms around Jesus. Even a child can accept Jesus. Anyone can accept Jesus. You don't have to be a great philosopher, great thinker. So here's another way we sometimes think about um, finding 
Rachel life, spiritual life, we think we do it by being really good. You know, working the 12 steps consistently. Getting all our act together and living an increasingly flawless life. Now you see this in you know, some doctrines of reincarnation. We realize culturally it's a bit hard to do it in one lifetime, but if you've got a million, maybe you can work your way up eventually uh, and connect with, with Rachel. Um, problem is, what happens, what happens if you just really can't do that? What happens if you're just really bad? Like many of us are. What if, what if your parenting was so miserable and lousy and your impulse control is so poor that, that you actually are never going to be anything more than just a moral reprobate and degenerate? I mean, there's many, many people like that, right? What if you're so consumed with hate and anger and bitterness that you just can't love people? Well, guess what? You can still hold on to Jesus it's incredibly inclusive. You don't, you don't have to be a morally virtuous, triumphant person. You've just got to grab onto Jesus. He's the bread of life. It's wonderfully inclusive, isn't it? Most inclusive religion in the world because it's true and it says Jesus. It comes to us in a person. The question then is, uh, if Jesus is the one who can connect you to God, who can sustain you in this, um, how do you get this? How do you get this? Jesus. Well, you believe in him. That's how you get eternal life. That's how you get this life that connects you to the spirit realm. But, but it's, it's actually a little more profound than that. Um, and Jesus talks a lot about food in this story. Uh, and in particular, he then goes in, in this last little section, he talks about his flesh and his blood. And he says this, very truly, I tell you, look at this, man. Uh, if, if you thought the original hearers were confused earlier, wait till they, they started hearing this. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, that clearly can't be spirit, physical life. He's talking about the spiritual life of connection with God. Okay, Unless you do that. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. What's he talking about there? <laughs> uh, some people think he's talking about communion or the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. I, I don't think that's on view here. I think it's much more powerful than that or basic than that. Um, if you've got a, and remember, bread and wine is just they're, they're symbols for food, right? So if you have a lovely meal, if you have a plate of food on the table in front of you, is the food sitting on the table of any use to you? to sustain you and give you life while it's on the table. Is it of any use to you, sitting on the table? No. What has to happen to the food for it to give you life, physically? It's got to be broken, and you've got to eat it. Jesus says, I'm going to give you life my body's going to give you life, but you know how it's going to happen? My, I've got to be broken. And then you've got to take me into you. You can't, food is no use to you unless it's broken. Right? I was thinking about this before. I was like, as I was driving down Belmain and I was passing the bakery down on Darling Street, I was thinking, how far can I push this metaphor? I thought, Does it really work? What if I got a little tiny loaf of bread? Could I take it and eat it without, it, without breaking it? 
Well, of course not. Even if I ingest it whole, my saliva breaks it down and breaks it down into, into glucose and it goes into my body and you know, my insulin spikes and I get diabetes and die. That's, you know, even, even a, sorry, that wasn't meant to come out like that. Even a little bit of bread, every bit of food has to be broken to feed us. Jesus is saying, listen, listen, you'll have life when my body is broken for you. And when you take that broken body into you, when you take that life into you, when was Jesus' body broken? On the cross, his body is broken, his blood is shed, so that he could overcome the barrier between you and I and God. And again, you know, if we go back to this picture, this is the barrier. And it needs to be broken. If you're doing Alpha at the moment, you'll, you'll probably have seen this illustration. Throwback to Nikki doing this in the 80s. Uh, one way of thinking about this is to go, you know, here is, God, here is us and here is God. And we're made to be in a relationship where we're just completely connected and open to God. That's eternal life. That's spiritual life. But between us and God has, has come this huge barrier. We, we, and that's why we're dead, man, because we're meant to connect to God, but we just keep bumping up against this barrier of our sin, and we can't, you know. John 6 says, the bread of life comes into the world, and the bread of life is broken. And how is he broken? He's broken on the cross. What breaks him on the cross? Because the Bible says, on him, on on the bread of life, God has laid the iniquities of us all, all our sin, everything that would block us off from God, all that gets dumped on Jesus and that breaks him, that crushes him. Now, if our iniquities are put on Jesus, what is there to separate us from? What is there between us and God now? Is there anything? It's nothing. There's nothing. We're connected to God and that is eternal life, to be connected to God. And it's done when we ask Jesus into our lives, when he is broken for us. So here's an application for you this week. Every time you eat, every time you eat anything, remember that just as the food that you are eating has to be broken, just as that avocado has to be smashed and put on that toast that had to be cut and then loaded up with a 500% markup uh, and then put on your plate and then you've got to break it down even further to take it into you. Every time you eat that food, remember that in the spiritual world, it is exactly the same, that the broken Son of God himself has to come into you to feed you spiritually. And he longs to do that. So every act of eating and drinking actually is an act of remembering. It changes everything. When you have your coffee, just remember that the only reason you can have coffee going into you is because that bean was crushed for you. Just as your sin crushed the Son of God, so that you could connect with Him forever and for always. And finally, let me ask you this. You know, have you eaten Jesus? Have you ingested Him? Are you trusting Him? It's as simple as that. You trust Him. Is He, 
Is he the one alone who will give you Rachel? We're going to pray and then go into our final song, uh, which is at the cross. So maybe the other musos, if you want to come on up as well. Um, I'm going to pray for us. This last song is our offertory song. Uh, So while we sing, we'll take up a collection and you feel free to to give as you'd like to give uh, as you feel moved. Let me pray for us first. Come on. Lord Jesus, uh, we spend our lives working for food that perishes. We wake up every morning and behold Leah. These things are good, but they don't nourish and they don't satisfy. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the bread of heaven who alone gives life. I ask you this morning for each of us in this room that we will feed on you, that we'll trust you, that you'll open our eyes this morning to see you crushed and broken for us so that we could be connected with God forever. Lord, wherever there's any any pain, disappointment, heartache, guilt or shame, may the bread of life bring healing to that this morning. Come, Lord Jesus, come into us. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I'll come in and eat with them. The bread of life is standing at the door of your heart, knocking and saying, Hey, come, let me in. Let me feed you. Let me satisfy your soul now and forever. Whether you've, you've been a follower of Jesus for 40 years or whether you're just contemplating that step of faith this morning, Jesus says, I'm, I want to come in and be with you. I want to come deeply into your being life forever why don't you ask him in amen let's continue to worship as we stand